Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. And we're back. Another episode of the Two Tongues Podcast. Yep. Here we are. Yep. About to record. <laughs> uh, oh, what do you got here, man? These green glasses? These look pretty cool. Green. Get gas station specials. Oh, shit. Okay. I don't buy expensive sunglasses. I, yeah, I think that's a good strategy. Mm-hmm. I can never understand people that buy actual Ray-Bans or Oakleys. Yeah. You're going to spend four, five, six, seven, ten times as much as you could, and you're going to lose them and break them just like... Just like get the gas station glasses. Yeah, man. Yeah, I uh, I bought a pair of sunglasses at a Green Sky Bluegrass concert once. I really liked those sunglasses, and uh, I wore them to a Weezer concert, and they fell off my head, mm. and I was bummed. I mean, they weren't even super expensive, but just more expensive than I would normally pay for sunglasses. See, you lost your glasses, but did you also destroy your sweater? Uh, I unraveled it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fucking Weezer, man. I, I like Weezer, but they are like increasingly gay. You know, yeah. like I just like after a certain point, Weezer just stopped being good. Yeah, yeah, but I don't, that it's, I don't know if that point was super early though. Like right after that uh, that album. Um, I guess what I'm saying is I didn't follow them after that. They had some good. Like uh, it probably was after. Not the blue album. Pinkerton was good. Um, the green album had some good songs on it, and they've had some like, you know, here and there good songs. But for the most part, yeah. After, uh, I would say after the green album, they've been pretty trash. Did you hear Panic at the Disco? They've got. Uh, I, listen, man. When they first came out, and they were pop punk, and they were awesome. Yeah. Um, and they were un- unique as fuck. Um, I put them way up my list you know I really liked them and then I noticed they kind of fell out of favor I think the band one of the band members left or something and then they got increasingly more poppy and increasingly more popular and so good for them you know like seriously good for them you know have success and make money that you know that's all that's the goal so good for them but I heard a song on the radio the other day I'm like oh they're still making music and it was like it was pop music, man. It was. Yeah. It, they've lost every element of rock. They're completely pop now. Yeah. And I was disappointed. Was it that song High Hopes? Pro- mm, no, it was newer than that. Although, listen, man, it's catchy. High Hopes, it's catchy. That sucks, though. I, I do not. I mean, yeah, I don't. I don't like that song. I don't really like Panic at the Disco. I, I, that first album oh, was so good, pretty good. So, no, so good. I, my musical tastes have changed. Like I would say at this point that it was pretty good. Back then, I loved it. 
Yeah. Uh, at this point, I would say it was pretty good. Um, I, I see. I still judge it by the the standard of the time. So it's like I, I don't judge it from my perspective today. I judge that's it weird. from yeah. That's weird yeah. to me. It, it, but yeah. you really like. I mean, your musical cha- taste is like. You know, I, it's evolved some, but you yeah. still really love all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, I don't listen to. Uh, I, there's so much of, of a nostalgia component to me. Yeah, it's like I like something. It's just like you know, like there's some people that I know that are a little older, and their music was from the '80s, mm-hmm. let's say, and um, some of that music is so fucking bad. I'm like, how could you possibly like this? The '80s was it's a bad. Decade. All nostalgia. It's you can't write off how important that is. Yeah, you know. A lot of the like old pop punk emo, you know, screamo type stuff that I will listen to on occasion. It is pretty much nostalgia. Like it's not really the kind of music that I like anymore at all. Yeah, yeah. But I, I have like a nostalgia spot for yeah, it. Yeah, it's like right now we could put on the greatest fall of all time. Yeah, by Matchbook Romance. Completely nostalgia. Completely, but we would enjoy it. We'd be sitting yeah. here going. There is, I'm not, not going to sing it though. There is some it. stuff that is not nostalgia though. Um, like Something Corporate second album, North. Fucking a. That's a good fucking how about album. Their, how man. about their first album? Maybe even better. No, not in my. I mean, it's a good album, but their second album, the one with uh, Down oh, and God. Only Ashes, yes, that's was, a good fucking album, man. That it, is, in it, my opinion, better than the first one. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, In some ways, I agree with you, and in some ways, I don't. I think that first album was a little bit raw, more raw, and it had it had some tracks on it, like, um, see, now my, I'm going to put my memory to, to test. Um, I, like, um, Hurricane is good. What, I'm, for some reason, all I can think of is Woke Up in a Car, but it's not it. It's... Um, UC Jordan. No, that's the worst song on the whole album. It's good, it, it was the first one that I ever heard of theirs, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Ah oh, shit! Whatever, man. I I can sit here and try to think about it, but I'm not gonna do that. Hurricane is my favorite song off that album. Not mine, man. Mine is um. Fuck, I can't, man. I can't. It's not. It's one of those mornings. Yeah. My recall's getting bad. What other bands is are not nostalgia for me that I actually still like? By that, yeah. By that, you mean they're they still hold up. Yeah. Um, brand new. I mean, I still love brand new. Yeah. Um, Taking Back Sunday. Some Taking Back Sunday. I mean, their their new stuff is not every song is good like it used to be, but they're pretty solid, man. Yeah. And Silverstein, they just continue to make solid fucking Silverstein music. Silverstein lost it for me nah. after maybe two or three albums. Dude, there's a CD that they made. It's got a buffalo on the front. It was about like ten years ago. I can't remember what it's called. It's got a buffalo on the front, okay. and it fucking rocks so hard, man. Yeah. The first two or three tracks just in a row, you're just like, fuck, it's so good, man. Yeah. There's a song called Massachusetts. You just got You got to listen to that one, man. Still, I haven't listened to any. Maybe it's called seen in a long time. Maybe it's called Still Roaming or something like that. Hold on, man. Let me look it up. Yeah, we got Spotify. We can look whatever we want up within reason. Talk talk amongst yourselves. Um, trying to think. Uh, I definitely still like some Chiodos. Yeah, which is funny because I have a tattoo for them. Uh, you'd think, you know, you would hope that if I got a tattoo for them, that I'd still be all about them. But no, not really. Um, but yeah, they still definitely have some of the older songs are really good. The, the album I'm talking about is from 2013. It's called "This Is How the Wind Shifts." Yeah. So let me look that one up. Why didn't you? What did you looked it up on Google just to find the album? Yeah. 
Um, what'd you type in? Silverstein Buffalo album? I just typed in Silverstein and went to <laughs> albums. I'm not a schlemiel. <clears throat> All right, let's see here. Silverstein like a motherfucker. Um, the second Under Oath album. Well, I don't know if it was the second one. Define the Great oh, Line. Oh, God, so good. Yeah, that one's still good. Um, what else? I still like Finch. Finch is uh, pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, but if you listen to the second the second album, it's uh, pretty terrible. Uh, that one grew on me. It really? Yeah, I like I like that album. Um, but yeah, that's just not really. That whole scene is not really the kind of music I listen to at all anymore. All right, so let me. Uh... Oh, we're gonna play it. I want you to hear just the very beginning, and the whole the audience is probably going to be like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> uh, hold, hold on. It's called "Stand Amid the Roar." Let's see if I can find that one. Stand amid the roar. See, oh, here's the full album. Okay, let's see if this works. Come on, man. How good is that? It's pretty good. God damn, Silversteed. Oh, nobody screams like that anymore. Do they not? There's a metal scream and there's a screamo scream. And the screamo scream died when uh, when Burt McCracken's voice left, when his when he paralyzed his vocal cords and he couldn't do it anymore. Everyone just gave it up in favor of the guttural, shitty metal screaming that I hate. I want the fucking raw screaming that ruins your vocal cords. You could only do it from the ages of 17 to 20, and then you're done for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's the kind of screaming I want. Yeah. I, I'm more, I've always been more partial to the, uh, the more metal-type scream. Mm. Um, I do like I do like the the rare band that does them both where yeah. they layer you know how I like layered vocals in music that's why I like Taking Back Sunday and Emery so much if you get layered screaming where you have the guttural scream and then you got the guy with the higher pitch voice doing the the screamo scream over top of it you know like the blood just f- goes right to the tip of my penis when I hear that yeah you know yeah most of the music that I choose to listen to anymore doesn't really have any screaming in it uh, it's pretty rare to have a scream. Uh, but every now and then I'm trying to, do I listen to anything that's got screaming in it anymore? <laughs> you should, man. I don't know. How'd this become a music podcast? I don't know. I like it though. Yeah, it's not bad. So, um, while we're on the subject, you know how like you started getting into, uh, well, when kind of like around the, um, um, green sky, bluegrass, uh, era there was a bunch of other similar like bluesy sort of southern type of uh like indie music i'm trying to think of shaky graves and some of those other Mm -hmm. bands that that came out um every time you would show me one of those things i thought to myself you know that's like an interesting blend of what you would imagine someone who likes country would enjoy but also someone who likes rock or indie or alternative would like Mm -hmm. And I let my sister hear it because she likes country music. And every time I'm disappointed, I'm like, you got to hear this. You got to hear this. And she fucking like doesn't like it. She's like, look, it's not, you know, I don't know, man. It just surprises me. Your sister is probably more into like very popular country. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, I I love Jenna, but I fucking hate popular country. Uh, It's... 
just terrible. It's just pop music mm-hmm. with a twang. Yeah. All you need, look, you can take any pop band you want, you make them talk with a twang, country music. That's what's happened. Pretty much. And it's so fucking fake. It's the most fake because I don't think those people actually talk like that. They no. sing like that. The way that British people sing with an American accent, mm-hmm. they just put that shit on, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's marketing, you know? Somebody told me about a restaurant in Germany or someplace, Austria, I can't remember. It's just called uh, American Restaurant. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, you know, she, the lady said she went there when she was visiting just to see what it was like because it's pretty funny, man. Like, you got an American restaurant in the middle of Europe, and it's called American Restaurant. And you're like, okay, what do these people think about Americans? What do they think they're like? And that's what's funny about it. You go in, and they're playing country music, and uh, everybody looks like Europeans, but they're wearing cowboy boots. They have to wear cowboy boots and cowboy hats. So the perception is like, uh, like you know, cheeseburgers that they serve there, but like, like the like the least American cheeseburgers you've ever seen in your life, and uh, it's, it's just over the top ridiculous. Yeah. And there's like there's like American flags all over the walls because <laughs> because that that's how they perceive us that we got you know we're all super patriotic eating cheeseburgers wearing cowboy boots all over the country we're like that you know. Yeah. Just, I don't know, like, I think European people have this idea that Americans have no idea what they're talking about, like, if they're talking about things that are going on in Europe, and then they demonstrate the exact same thing, you know? It's like, like, oh, yeah. It's like they have apparently no idea what America's actually like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we're super ignorant of European culture, and, you know, shame on us because... You know, they're mixed together and they know each other and we're over here across the pond, ignorant, and that's how they look at us. We've talked about this before uh, and we had an inflammatory oh, yeah. episode about Great Britain and the, the <laughs> British people. Yeah. But it, yeah. it ex- I, I don't want to only hang that on Great Britain, although I do think it's like um, a concentrated version of it there. Uh, but fuck, fuck European people, man. I mean, I love them. Uh, uh, you know, that's like... Uh, you know that's like my ancestry i do i do have love for european people right. uh, but at the same time they're like snobbiness and uh just like the sense of superiority over americans it's like go fuck yourself you have no you're you're trash like a, a lot of you are fucking trash as well you know it's that's that's curious like i wonder where it comes from because i do have i do feel the same way that a lot of people in europe especially in the uk uh, think about Americans as less sophisticated, mm-hmm. as less uh, liberal, as less um, progressive. Maybe it, to me, it's a it's a social and political difference that they perceive. And it's like in the Second World War, it's like since the dawn of industrialization. Really, the United States has been beating the pants off of any European country in terms of productivity, in terms of quality of life, mm-hmm. in terms of innovation. You know, we've been leading the pack. Now, at some point, that started to fail, and I think that's also socially and culturally, yeah, you know. when we started acting more like Europeans, that's when yeah. it started to fail. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and now and now they point, point fingers at us in this sort of diminished state and say, we've always been like this, and they've always been superior. Yeah. <clears throat> Listen, man, I... I know some history. I know that we owe the French our our freedom. I know that, uh, and the French get a lot of shit for me, even rightfully so. 
I mean, you, you were saying that that uh, that attitude is in Europe and maybe it's more in, in Great Britain, but I think maybe the epicenter of hating on America is France. France. Like, they're so fucking snooty and they think they're the shit. Uh, and that's funny coming from an American because that is kind of like the, uh, you know, the the standard definition of, of an American is we think we're the shit because we are. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that, that France is, like, particularly bad about that kind of stuff. It's interesting, man. It's like... Uh, and I don't think they have much of a right to be. Anymore. You know, I think they're riding on the coattails of a great history, of sure. a great past that's no more. And, look, I don't know much about France these days. Um, I, re- I remember them being the epicenter of some of that... Um, d- that terrorism um, when it, when shit started happening um, after 9-11 when like subways were getting bombed and shit there was a lot of a lot of that stuff going on in France mm-hmm. uh, so maybe there's an immigration you know I don't know I don't know much about their recent history but I, what I do know is we owe our freedom to them in the Revolutionary War and that they owe our, our freedom their freedom to us in the Second World War if it wasn't for the United States uh, at D-Day uh, participating and all that France would have been conquered by Germany, and who knows? Who knows what what would have happened? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're kind of even. United States and France, kind of even. Um, I don't know why we, you know, don't get along better. Yeah, I, you know, you know what it might. This is what comes into my my mind, and I'm stepping in uh, water deeper than I should. But you know how, like, going back to history class, they talked about the American Revolution, and they talked about the French Revolution, and they were going on at in a very close proximity to each other in, in terms of time but people talk about those revolutions being very different mm-hmm. they were both they were both over, overthrowing a monarch and they were both freedom oriented but somehow the french took a different path than we took and i don't know the details but i wonder if that if the if it if the crux of the, of it goes back to the philosophical differences in the french revolution versus the american revolution could be i don't know i don't know enough me either. About either of the revolutions, Should, Shouldn't honestly. have brought it up. <laughs> um, I do know that there were... And maybe this is just, uh, you know, American propaganda. Uh, although, in the last, I don't know, 50 years, it started to, you know, die down a little bit. But in the past, it was hero worship of the Founding Fathers. You know, they, yeah. were, they were heroes. Um, we've started to, you know... It, it, rightfully, in some in, in in a lot of cases, bring up that they were not necessarily great people all the time. I still think they were heroes, personally, uh, on some level, anyway. Um, but I know that in the French Revolution, there were some shady characters. You know, some people who were, you know, they were kind of championing the revolution, but for you know, kind of selfish reasons. Like they had themselves. You know, yeah. they were setting themselves up to be in positions of power, yeah, things the, like that. The name Robespierre comes to mind, but I don't have any of the yeah. I don't have any of the details behind that. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. You know, while we're talking about the heroes thing, so I, that's an interesting thing because I think you're right. I think we did when we were kids. The founding fathers were up on, on a bit of a pedestal, you know, up uh, carved into the uh, side of a mountain in one of the Dakotas, I think. Uh, but we we did we 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 made them like idols in some regard. And they represented something that we were supposed to be proud of, like a heritage we were supposed to be proud of. And part of me thinks idolatry of any kind is kind of um, 
manipulation. It's kind of indoctrination. It, you know, you're you're telling your children to look up at this image that means X, Y, and Z, and to think a certain way about it. And I, I always feel leery about any kind of manipulation, especially when we're when we're planting it in the heads of young kids that are naive. You know, we could be talking about religion or politics the same way. Mm-hmm. I I, I've, I have some reluctance about it, but uh, but also it's something to imitate. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you have a grand goalpost that you can always look up to and say, "This person was great. They did great things. I could I could be like them. I could follow that example. I could do something great." And that's also important. So it's like you on an idol on one side. And, you know, a, a goalpost to uh, imitate um, on the other. And you kind of can't have one without the other. You kind of run the risk of those things bleeding together. But if you take away the goalpost, you take it away, like we're trying to do now by saying the founding fathers were all racist. Mm-hmm. If we take that away, then people no longer have an, something to aspire to. We no longer have a governing image, you know, like a, a Jungian image that we all can get, can organize around and we can all work towards. That's how we... One of the ways that we cooperate, it's all symbolic, you know, holds us together. So I think we undermine that. There's risks, you know, there's risks involved with that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that it would just be, I think the ideal thing in my mind to do is to, you know, point people in the direction of, um, I don't know, mimicking, um, you know, trying to follow in the footsteps of the good aspects of, of that person and not denying the the negative aspects and understanding that just because somebody has done something bad doesn't mean that that person is a terrible person, um, especially when you take cultural context and stuff into consideration, you know? Uh, like, yeah, Thomas Jefferson was, you know banging his slaves and, you know, talking about freedom, but also having slaves and shit like that. Yep. Um, and that's, you know, if you drop Thomas Jefferson into today, obviously that's very hypocritical. But at the time, you know, it, it, it was it was just different. You know, it's not it's not like it is today. You know, it, Thomas Jefferson didn't exist in 2022. Um, do, do you think it would be helpful to replace the old images with new ones, like it's the, if like who like Elon Musk or some. I mean, I know a lot of people wouldn't agree with that, but fuck those people. Um, you know, do you think we need new? We need to update the images so that people are less likely. It's like the older they get, the less powerful they get, and people feel less connected to them. Then they feel more apt to undermine them. You know. I guess I don't necessarily feel that way though. I feel like. Um the founding fathers. I, I don't. I feel like there's something more. Uh, it's like 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 Jesus. You know, thousands of years ago. There's something about that. You know, like you existed a long time ago. Yeah. There's something. Um, I don't know what that is, but I know what you mean. Yeah. There's some kind of just like uh, extra like like a mystical thing about them. You know, it's like like King Arthur. You oh, know. Yeah. So when I, when I was doing the episodes, I did a couple of episodes on Islam when I did for all my solo episodes. And I, I fought with that the whole time because I like to talk about religion and ancient religions. And uh, I had a hard time giving Islam a fair shake because I kept thinking to myself, 
it's only a couple, it's only a couple hundred years old, you know, like, you know, fair enough. It's ancient at this point, but compared to Christianity, it's not compared to Judaism. It's not compared to Buddhism. It's not, yeah. you know, it's like the only thing it's more ancient than are these, you know, relatively modern faiths that I write off. And so they're right on the border of like, not old enough for me to take seriously. And I, I struggled with that when I was doing those episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I heard somebody make an interesting case that modern Judaism is actually newer than Christianity. Now, what do they mean by modern Judaism? Uh, okay, so you had, you know, Jesus was a Jew. Um, and Jesus back, was a Jew? Back then, you know, all the way up until he, and after he died, he was considered a Jew. And the people who followed him were considered Jews. Yep. Um, and the Jews back then, uh, you know, a good majority of them anyways, they renounced Jesus. They were like, he's not the Messiah um, for a lot of interesting motives. Um, and after Jesus died, you know, the Jews, they had rebellions against the Romans. They had two of them. Uh, the second one was led by this guy named Simon Bar Kokhba. Yeah. The Bar Kokhba revolt. Yeah. Yeah. And he basically, you know, the Romans, they were bad motherfuckers. And if you put up too much of a, uh, you know, if you started acting up, they would just fucking crush you because they had the capability, you know? Mm -hmm. And they did. They tore down the temple. They fucked Judaism up in Jerusalem. Um, and there was this one rabbi who got, like, smuggled out of Jerusalem to Tel Aviv, I believe. And, like, at that point, the... Uh, the religion of Judaism completely changed. And this is not like controversial. This is 100% historically true. You know, there's the Torah and the, the Talmud. Mm -hmm. The Talmud is much younger. The, the Torah is way fucking older. Right. Um, and the Torah is the basis for the Bible. The Talmud is something completely new. And that's like more for modern Judaism. The Talmud is more of a foundational text than the Torah. And a lot of apparent, I don't know, I'm not a, a Jewish scholar or anything, but apparently a lot of the stuff in the Talmud is like completely contradictory to the stuff in the Torah. Yeah. So that's a really interesting topic you bring up. So I, I bumped into the Talmud and there's two of them. There's the Babylonian Talmud yeah. and there, I can't remember the other one. Palestinian um, Talmud. Yeah. Okay. And the, and the Talmud is rabbinical commentary. Mm -hmm. So the rabbis read the Bible, the rabbis live their lives, they have insights and revelations and a lot of things that require clarification in the Bible you find in the in the Talmud. But there's more than that. There's something called the Midrash and the Mishnah. So they also have those, which are rabbinical works. And and if you compare the size of the Bible to the Talmud, the Midrash, and the Mishnah, yeah. what you'll find is that there's way, way more stuff that's non- Not Revelation. It's not yeah. part of the scriptures that's added on by the rabbis. And that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And it allows a certain amount of manipulation. Like, you know how people say that the, uh, that the Constitution is a living document because yep. it can be reinterpreted and changed as our society changes? Yep. That's what the Talmud does to the Old Testament. It allows new interpretations. It allows, uh, it allows it to be interpreted differently, right? Means something new, different. And in Islam, they have that too. It's called the Hadith. So they've got the Quran and they have the Hadith. And the Hadith is the sayings of the prophets, of the prophets. So you've got what, what was revealed to Muhammad from the angels written down in the Quran. And then you have all of the other shit that 
you don't see in the Quran that are like word of mouth remembrances of things that Muhammad said. And, yeah. the, and the hadith is like, it's just like the Talmud, exactly like what, what you're describing. Yeah. So I don't know much more about it. I want to know how you got into the Barkova stuff. Where did you hear oh, that? I, I just from, I've known about that for a long time. But this most recent thing um, that I heard about this guy proposing that modern Judaism is actually a younger religion than Christianity. Um, I, I don't know. I was just like a YouTube rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. Interesting. So the, 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 the reason that the Talmud came into my sphere at all mm-hmm. was, was, well, it started off with um, Lilith, with the character Lilith. So if you've heard that mm-hmm. story, uh, Lilith is a character that has been adopted by, um, by lesbians uh, because she, it's like the first empowered woman in mythology. And the story behind that is, if you read the Old Testament, um, man and woman are created twice, and it's not explained. And if you ask historians, they'll tell you one story is, for, is from one tradition, one story is from another tradition. When those Jews consolidated their tradition, they kept both stories. And that's why they're two stories, but it requires explanation because Adam and Eve are created from uh, mud, from clay, but then Eve is created from Adam's rib. Two different stories contradicting each other. How do you explain that? The Bible is supposed to be the inerrant word of God. How do you explain that? Well, you get a you get a real smart rabbi who shows up and says, "Well, let me just write this supplement to the Bible here. <clears throat> We're going to call this the Talmud," and 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 they explain away what happens and they do it in an interesting way man it would be one thing to make up a story they didn't do that what they did was they took an older story that everybody already knew and they twisted it around and inserted it into their tradition and it goes like this there was a demon in babylonian religion named lilith and lots of old religions have stories like this it's it's providing an explanation mostly for tragedies. In this case, infant mortality. Your baby dies, and it's because the same reason why there's a, a solar eclipse, because you guys fucked up, because you're sinning, and you're sinning, and you're making mistakes, and God is going to punish you. So the, so he sends an eclipse, and he kills all your babies, right? That's how they explained it away. And Lilith was a demon that was responsible for stealing your baby's souls. So you have to be really careful in ancient times when you have a baby. They, a lot of them died, and you don't want them to die. You want to protect them, and you want to do your incantations over the baby, and you want to protect them from all dangers, spiritual and physical. And Lilith was the spirit that would come and take your baby away. And because that story already existed in Babylon, they just said, okay, how about this? How about... The first time God creates woman, it's Lilith he creates. But here, Lilith doesn't want to submit to Adam. The man should rule, right? This is the fucking old-timey times we're talking about, so the man should be in charge. Lilith Lilith doesn't want to let that happen. And the story says something even stranger, that she refuses to let Adam be on top when they're having sex. She wants to be on top. The sin of all sins, she wants to ride the cock. And what happens is... What happens is Adam complains to God. This, this bitch won't let me on top. And uh, God said, Lilith, you got to submit to Adam. And, and Lilith said, fuck you. And God said, okay, you're now a demon. You're going to go out and steal. Based. You're going to go out and steal the souls of Eve's children out of jealousy and spite. 
And that's how they wove both tales together. Fucking based. That's in the Talmud, man. Yeah. I, uh... It's interesting to me that, uh... Well, not interesting. It is interesting, but I just think, uh... What an what an unadmirable character to pick to like uh, be the champion of your you know sexuality or your movement you know Lilith this this person who's stealing children's souls you know it's pretty fucked up it is pretty fucked up makes me you know more skeptical than I already am of you know lesbians and feminism <laughs> and, yeah um, dude I'm I'm definitely taking a hard right turn in my politics, man. Interesting. Like, I, 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 I'm still very libertarian. It's like, I think if you want to do, if you want to be gay, be gay. But this, like, sh- this cultural shit of t- me, t- like, having to raise my kids to believe that it's okay uh, to be gay or that they should be gay, um, I've got a real fucking problem with that. Well, man. those are two very different things. Yeah, are they being okay and being encouraged? I think I don't know. Different. I don't think that they are that different. So I had somebody tell me recently that they think if their kids were gay, that their lives socially would be more difficult than if they were straight. For that reason alone, they hoped that their kids would be straight. And they're liberals who said that to me. So I think that's interesting. Okay. On um, what do you mean? I mean, I, I like they they are perfectly okay with with homosexuality. They got no issues with it socially or religiously or anything else. But they said that they wish their kids will turn out straight, be- only because well, I, yeah, I get they that. think their lives will be easier. You know, and they used to make the same argument for interracial babies. They're like, you know, they're not going to be white. They're not going to be black, or or even before that, they're not going to be Spanish. They're not going to be Indian. They're going to be a mestizo. They're not going to fit in either group. Their lives would be easier if you just kept the races pure. Uh, that's the kind of argument I think it is. Okay. I'm not really sure. I mean, I get it, but are you, are you saying that that is a stupid argument? Are you saying that that no, is... No, I, I think it's... I think it's not unreasonable, but I just think it's an interesting take for a liberal to, to have. You wouldn't expect a liberal to say, um, I, I hope my children are straight. You wouldn't expect that. So, But let, let's, with the gay thing, let's take that apart a little bit. Because they, you said that these are liberal people. They are, uh, yeah. And, you know, the liberals are never fucking happy. But today, it's Pride Month, motherfuckers. It, it's like, is it really that hard to be gay now? No, you've got, I mean, honestly, I think that gay people live in a world of privilege now. They're held up on this fucking pedestal. It is not harder to be gay now than it is to be straight. That's an interesting. You're like, they're like fucking worshipped. Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. That definitely did happen in pop culture that started to change. um, I I keep bringing up this example, but I remember when Will and Grace was was on, you know, was one of the top rated shows on TV. Like that to me is when it started to change and shift. Which is all propaganda. It is, yeah. And if you're a white person today, one of the only ways that you're going to find privilege in, mm, I don't know how to say this, certainly in the corporate world is to be gay. If you're white, if you're a white man especially, the only way you're going to find that privileged position is to be gay. So in that in that regard, I would say 
I agree with you. Yeah. And that's not fair. It's, it's, it's not fair to, to do that based on any characteristic, race or gender or, or sexual. I mean, I'm pretty sure we have laws against that. <laughs> I'm pretty so, sure yeah. we have laws against that. Um, but I do think that there's a, you said that there's a difference between saying that it's okay and encouraging it. And maybe there is, but I think that the lines are more blurred, you know? I think that, um, I, I mean, here and I said I was taking a hard right turn in my politics. I don't think that people are born gay. I just, I, I don't think that that's true. Um, you think it's it's trauma-related, psychological? A or? lot of it, yeah. Hmm. I think that straight people make more straight people by having kids. Yep. And I think that gay people make more gay people by grooming kids. Oh, Jesus. Um, that, that, I think that's the truth. Yeah. I think trauma definitely has something to do with it. I've seen enough examples of that in my life. Mm-hmm. I know trauma has something to do with it. I just don't, I can't, I don't know if biology, I can't rule it out only because there's instances of like in the animal kingdom, you know, of homosexuality. It's like, if it can occur in bonobos or something. Is that the same thing though? I don't know. I don't know. Is... Is a horny monkey having sex with another horny male monkey, um, is that homosexuality like we have it where it's like we want these sustained relationships? That's the, like that horny male monkey that has sex with another male monkey, would he have sex with a female monkey and be just as happy with it? I think probably, but I don't know. I haven't done the studies. Um, But I think that these people who do the studies you know, these people are very often, they're in academia, so they're super fucking liberal. That's true. So they see this male monkey who has a one-off, you know, he fucks another male monkey, and then they want to pass that off as he's gay. It happens yeah. in the animal kingdom too, you know? And I don't think that that's true. Build, build 100 bridges, Kyle. But I don't know what that means. <laughs> you ever heard that phrase? I don't know where it comes from, but it goes something like this. Build 100 bridges, suck one cock. Oh, okay. To the rest of the world, you're a cocksucker, not a bridge builder. Yeah, I, I can. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. But do you, do you do you agree with that though? That like, um, I think I, I, a lot of the times, I think these people like. I just got into a, a thing on Twitter. This person was talking about trans. They were like, trans surgeries are older than all of this stuff. All of this stuff, you're like listing off all of these medical procedures that transgender surgery is. You know, um, what's the what, sex change surgeries, whatever, gender reassignment, are older yeah. than these things. And okay, even if that's true, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. You know, slavery is old as fuck, mm-hmm. and we all kind of agree that slavery is not good. That being said, I don't necessarily know that that is true. You know, like I think that these people are totally willing to pass something off is like this was super common back in the day because there's like one fucking instance of it you know what i mean yeah i I do um i just got this other idea that popped in my head about diversity while you were talking and it's like before this transgendered um cultural change that we're experiencing before that happened uh the the liberals were always and they still are uh pushing for the value of diversity you know and the whole argument around gender roles and uh, identity, it also has to do with diversity. The argument that they make is something like this. It's like from a personality perspective and a biological perspective, people are very different, you know? And um, 
and everybody's a different mix of it, you know? So you might have a, a, a woman who's much more masculine on these char- characteristics than others or much more feminine. You might have the same thing with men on different, side, different sides of the spectrum, but it's always a mixture, you know? It's just like when you make a baby. The DNA just shakes up in the Yahtzee cup and, you know, you roll it out on the table and you, well, you get what you get. And that is the process of evolution. You know, that's how we get changes that occur and it represents a plethora of characteristics. Everybody is a mixed bag. And if diversity is good, and if that's what liberals want, you want a man to be a spectrum. Mm -hmm. We want all different kinds of men. And we want women to be a spectrum, all different kinds of women. Then you've got these liberals who, who are saying, if you have these feelings, if you have this particular mix, even if you're a man, that's wrong, you should be a woman. Whoa, pump the fucking brakes. I thought you wanted diversity. Why does this man have to be trans and change into a woman now? Why can't we just have that diversity amongst men? Why are you trying to make that person a woman? And by they, I mean society is now trying to make certain people a woman or a man when they're not. It, it, it reflects a less appreciation for diversity than they pretend. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's... um. Hypocritical. That's what it is. You see that? Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I think that in some ways, the current transgender craze is kind of, they would never admit to this, but I think it's kind of homophobic. It's like you're... Yes. You're a boy and you're attracted to boys. Oh, you must be a woman. You're actually a woman. Um, I don't know. That seems kind of homophobic to me. It sure does. Um, why is you not know, a, just a gay dude? How is that any different from the, from the, I can't remember the politician's name, the old white dude that said Obama was very articulate. Oh, it was Biden. That oh, was, was Biden. it Biden? Yeah. Oh, God damn. But yeah, you he's know, like, you got the first black guy who's intelligent, articulate, and clean. It's like yeah, almost what verbatim what he fuck, said. fuck, man? But that's exactly, that's exactly the uh, parallel. Yeah. Because what you're saying is that black people shouldn't be articulate and clean. And what you're, what you just said is that a man shouldn't be X and Y. So they should be a woman. You should be a woman. Yeah. So you're saying that, that Obama, Biden saying Obama is just like a white guy. And, and dude, that's super, that's, that's super racist. <laughs> super racist, well, man. Joe Biden's got a history of saying really racist shit. Golly. And just really stupid shit. And he's the ones that the progressives voted into office, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hate progressives, you know, I like really hate progressives. Um, but I do think that a lot of them don't necessarily like Joe Biden, you know, like they would have much preferred Bernie, but when the establishment kind of fucked Bernie over, they were like, well, we're not going to vote for Trump. You know, I wish Bernie would have been in Biden's seat right now. And I'll tell you why, because I don't think there's a huge difference between Bernie and Biden. I don't think there's a huge difference between Bernie's politics and the rest of the Democrats, even the moderate ones. Yeah. If you ask them behind closed doors, I honestly don't think there's that big of a difference. I think that there's some areas where there are differences, but I I largely agree with you. Yeah. But the one place I do think there is some difference, not as much difference as a lot of people give Bernie credit for. But enough that I would prefer that Bernie was the president is war. Bernie has definitely been less war hawkish than yeah. than Biden. Yeah, that would have been interesting to see how it would have panned out with Bernie. But I think what I would have liked to see is all of this economic 
the 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 light being shined on the failures of the progressive um, economic system that would have been much more powerful to have happened under Bernie. Like yeah. I would want it all this stuff with supply chain and inflation and all this stuff to happen under a much more communist socialist type person to reveal this is what happens because because people still think that okay maybe next time around we'll get Bernie in instead and then things will get better. Yeah. It's not it's going to get worse. Yeah, I think a lot of these people who were very anti you know, very pro-socialism, very anti-capitalism. They will look at Joe Biden and be like, no wonder it's bad. He's still pretty much a capitalist. Exactly. Yeah. I really don't understand in the modern world the objection to capitalism. I don't understand it you've, because it's been around long enough that you've we've seen that the things that pe- most people take issue with, like sweatshops, after long enough time, even sweatshops are becoming more humane, you know, wages are rising even in China where, you know, in those manufacturing facilities where people used to make Nikes for, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but they would say you got these kid child labor pumping out Nikes for a penny a day or whatever. I think that's true. I mean, but it's better today than it was 20 years ago. And you're seeing the progress. You're seeing what capitalism is capable of doing, pulling a whole economic system out of the out of the dumpster. You don't have to go to China to look for that. You can go on the internet right now and find, you know, maybe footage. I don't know, but definitely pictures of little kids going into fucking coal mines. Jesus. You know, I would much rather if I if you know we lived in some kind of bizarro dystopian world where my kids had to go work. I would much prefer them to be making fucking Nikes than going into a coal mine. Very true. Yeah, um, very true. So, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, I mean, I, I've i got my issues with capitalism, for sure. Um, but I definitely see it as far superior to any of the alternatives, you know? I, I think the biggest issue with capitalism is is an issue with with motivation in the stock market. I don't think that like ca- capitalism as an economic system and free trade, um, I don't think there's any arguments that they're the best strategy, period. Mm-hmm. Um, what I take issue with is in the stock market. It's the idea that if you want to fund a new business and you can go public and get money from the public. I think that's very freedom-oriented. It's empowering the individuals, working together in a voluntary way. I love all of that. But when you say that a corporation must prioritize profitability to its shareholders over everything else, I can agree with progressives and liberals that that can be a problem and is a problem. Mm -hmm. The motivations are fucked. People cheat that way. People take short, make short-term decisions to increase the bottom line that are long-term bad decisions all the time, and they're constantly pressured to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's bad news, man. Yep, I think that kind of goes hand in hand with one of my issues with capitalism, and that it's that people can use. Okay, so imagine you've got this completely free society where you know. It, you know what I'm saying. It's a completely free society, completely free market. Yep. Um, and you've got this community where things are going well. You know, you're on like the the peak of the wave, you know? Yep. Uh, and you have this company that starts wanting to sell a product that 
without question, if it goes unchecked, is going to ruin the entire fucking community. Okay. Like, without question. If this product is able to be pumped into the community, the community is going to be ruined. Um, and, I mean, this is tough for me because I do lean completely. F- don't If you have the money to do it, you should be able to do it. But I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't... I think that there are definitely products that uh, that are put in front of people that there is no benefit to them. Um, they're poison. Yep. Um, and we can't do anything about it. So let's talk about that. Let's get. Let's give it a good example. Um, let's talk about. Let's talk about heroin. Let's talk about. This is a free society. So if somebody can invent it and there's an appetite for it, people want it. You can produce it and you can sell it, and there's no laws against it because it's a perfectly free society. And people get addicted, and their lives get ruined, and it puts a wrench in the whole system because, because people instead of working, people are getting high in the gutters. The, the you know th- things slow down. You know things start getting they're bad. Stealing to they start to, stealing to support their habit. They're killing people. More and more people start doing it. It's mm-hmm. terrible. It, yeah. it ruins everything. It puts. A, but I can see. I can see what you're saying, and I uh, and I think. That the instinct to regulate, the instinct to you know start being, start being progressive, uh, is there. But then I also have this other thought that says it's like an evolutionary thought, and it's going to sound terrible, but it says something like this. <sighs> How do I put this? If you're dumb enough to get addicted like to heroin, it's survival of the fittest. It's like yes, it's bad in the short term. It's going to run through like smallpox did through the, through the Native American world, and the and the ones that survive are stronger and better equipped to continue. That's evolution, man. That's that's survival of the fittest. It's natural selection. That's what that's what that is. It, is it possible the whole community is destroyed? Yes. If that happens, does it mean that the community didn't deserve to survive? I don't know. What do you say? Um, yeah, I definitely. If you have, I to- see what you're saying, and I, I do have a part of me that sympathizes with that. But I think so. There's a big part of me that is growing more and more done with libertarianism. Um, at least what libertarianism has become, yeah. because a lot of these people, it's like. They're handcuffed by their ideology. They can have this thing in front of them that is obviously the right thing to do, but they're like, nope, can't do that because my ideology is preventing me from it. Um, and But don't you kind of like it sometimes when no, somebody no, no. stands on their, on their like a Ron, like a Ron no. Paul kind of guy? No. Who stands on their, on their morals and their um, conviction and won't budge? Yes, to a certain point. Um, and I don't think that Ron Paul has crossed my certain point. But um, on another level, it's like, okay, well, you're letting your family, you know, you're letting your family, your community be destroyed because you were handcuffed by your ideology. Mm. Uh, And that is weak. That is weakness. It's like you protect the people who are close to you. You protect your community. You go to war for your community if you have to. And you're like, no, uh, you know, I've got these things that I believe, so I'm just going to let the people who are close to me be destroyed. Yeah, I, that's weakness. It, that's interesting because the solution to that weakness seems to be imposing. I know it's imposing it's, protection on them, which is, I resist that idea, it's man. Like being stuck between Scylla and Charybdis. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. Um, so that so the so the solution to that is a big brother thing. Like as a 
as a parent, I can understand that impulse because you do want to protect your kids. But I also have this always opposing concept that says to me, if you don't let them fuck up, if you protect them from falling and scraping their knee, then they're never going to learn how to, how to that, first of all, that they can deal with the pain. Secondly, that they can avoid that in the future. So you got to make people, let people make their own mistakes. Protecting them too much is yeah. like the, um, it's like the, um, what is it, what is that Freudian, uh, fuck your mother thing, the edible complex. Mm-hmm. It's like the edible complex. The overprotective mother that shelters the, the child too much, you know what I mean, ruins the child's development. I think that there's something to that, but I also think that, you know, there's a difference between uh, he's getting on his bike without his his knee pads on, he's going to scrape his knee, but I'm going to let him do it, you know? Next time he'll know to put on the knee pads. I think there's a difference between that and he's he's running towards a cliff. You know, he's going to fall off of the cliff. He's putting that needle in his arm. You better let him do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that there's a difference between those things. And honestly, you, you put it on heroin, but... It doesn't even really matter what it is. Um, there are products that can be pumped into a society, and maybe the the drive behind p- pumping those products into society is just profit, um, which is not good. You know, uh, if you're willing to poison a community for profit, that's not good. But I think that they can also be pumped into a society for more nefarious reasons, you know? Yeah. It's like, um, I think the the product that I had in mind is pornography. Okay, let's talk about it. Uh, I've stopped watching pornography completely. Good That's you, another man. thing. You know, I'm on this, you know, doing the keto, not, you know, not smoking weed. And I decided that the next thing that I have to get rid of is pornography and... It is way harder than anything else. I completely agree, man. It's, I am, you know, I, when, I think the second week that I talked about not smoking weed on the podcast, I was like, I don't feel any kind of addiction to weed. Like I like doing it, but I don't like I've, it's been over a month at this point and I feel totally fine. Yep. Um, it's been a couple weeks with the porn and it's fucking hard, man. I I know what you mean. It, It, I've been more what am I trying to say pornography has been a part of my life for a long long time since we're like 10 years old right you know sure and you know I think a lot of people will try to tell you and people say the same thing about weed like there's no downside to it it's all totally fine people say the same shit about porn and that is so obviously not true porn is destructive um, it has a lot of negative side effects. Yep, I agree. I agree. Um, I try. I tried. So this is we're just getting real personal here, but whatever. Um, I think it's completely it, from our generation and and all the way you know down the line to the new generation. Pornography has been so accessible mm-hmm. um, that you can pretty much guarantee anything under the sun is is being pumped into your your boys heads from the ages of probably 12 maybe younger but certainly 12 onwards yeah. you're seeing that shit every single day um i tried to stop uh for five days one time i got five days into it and it was like you suggested very difficult very difficult um and i rationalize like you do with anything i rationalize things like 
I'll give you a couple. Um, the more orgasms you have as a man, the less risk you have for prostate cancer. Got to keep having them orgasms. Second thing is when you're married and you have kids and there's other people living in your home, like is the situation here, it's fucking difficult to find time and privacy. Difficult to have sex with your with your wife. It fucking turns out to be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Then you're going long stretches without sexual release. I mean, I don't want that. I resist that. You got to have some outlet, and so that's how that's how you rationalize it. That's how I rationalize it. Um, but at the same time, you see epidemics of literally epidemics. You know what I'm talking about. Every blue pill on every app and website advertising all the time. Younger every and younger. Every podcast you listen to. Every podcast you listen to. Guys are getting younger and younger where they're having ED. Yep. And uh, that happened to me, man. For sure. Um, I've, it, yep. it went away, but it happened to me. And I was like in my late 20s. And I went to, and I went to the doctor. It was, it was after my first divorce. And I was fucked up mentally, man. And I went to the doctor, and the worst part about that conversation was the doctor didn't realize I was going to talk about that. And he had one of his little one of his interns in. It was like a college kid. Yeah. And it might have even been a girl. I can't remember. Standing right next to the doctor, and the doctor's like, Why are you here? And I'm like, Well, can't get boners. Yeah. So I, I'm having a hard time getting boners. And, and sometimes when I get them, they'll just fail on me halfway through. And I'm like, Part of that I know is related to other health components. Biological things. I'm not I, not the healthiest I dude. Think less than you would imagine, but though. very much psychological. Yeah. And and so I'm curious if you think that that is re- related to porn. One hundred percent. And I don't think that there's any doubt about that. I think that a lot of these people, when you come out and you start talking about the negative aspects of porn, you get these people who are like, "No, it's not." And these people are addicts. They're addicts. porn addicts, Absolutely. justifying yep. their addiction. Absolutely. Um, and I don't think that statistically medically that there's really any doubt that it's connected that the the increase in ed is connected to the the skyrocketing porn consumption skyrocketing like if yeah. you you go back 20 years uh porn is everywhere it's complete there it's almost inescapable you know um and it's like watching an action movie from 1970 mm-hmm. and watching one today that's the difference between a regular sex life and the porn universe. You know, the graphics keep getting better. Oh, yeah. the, the, uh, you know, it just keeps, they just keep upping the ante, you know? And it's like, you can go and have sex with your girlfriend or your wife and you have, uh, you know, uh, whatever. You've got, you, you know, oh, I, I can't get too specific. I can't get too specific. But you have a, you have a nice, you know, nor, relatively normal sexual encounter. Or you can... Go to your favorite website, and you can have something totally debauched. You could have three girls doing all kinds of stuff, whatever yeah. you want. And it's just there's a. I notice certain psychological triggers, man. With me, I notice like the attitude of the actress means makes it more of a difference for me with sexual satisfaction than any physical attributes than any like. Um, there's all kinds of you know how there's you know how porn is. There's all kinds of kinks. There's all kinds of fetishes. There's a whole world's universes of porn in every direction you would like to go, and most of them you don't want to fucking go to. Yeah. Some people do. Uh, I don't know where I was going with that I think at this that, point. I think that consumption, increased consumption of porn, makes you on some level have to keep escalating that too. Mm, yeah. You know, um, and I, you know, it, 
I've looked into this a bunch. It's hard to be able to like spit out the uh, the information that I've taken in, but the way that porn affects you mentally, like your um, like your drives for pleasure and stuff like that. Yeah, the the hormones in your brain, the dopamine and the serotonin. Yeah, it like connects. It's like conditioning, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that, and I just think, uh, largely I just think that uh, that porn is bad for you. Yeah. And it's, it's, that is how I feel consciously. That is like, uh, I don't want to watch it anymore. Yeah. Which is why it's been easier not to. Well. Over like, like the, uh, the last couple of weeks. But there is still a part of me that wants to for sure and of course. i have to like fight it yes it's not um it's not like oh i'm just not gonna watch it anymore that is not how it is let's talk about let's talk about that for a second what you just said there's a part of you that wants to that you have to fight mm-hmm. i love that because that is something that people say and understand and do not understand yeah that you have how do you i don't know how you say this without sounding like a hippie you have psychological forces instincts Mm-hmm. going on in your psyche that are like independent. They're more independent than you realize. And there's a part of you, like you just noticed, that, that has to be the boss. And so many people aren't the boss of themselves. Yep. You've, there's a hundred selves inside your head and you ha- there has to be somebody who can, on top, to control all of the other instincts. And the more you say no to yourself, the, gr- the stronger you get over those other competing instincts yeah. and you have tons of competing instincts you have the, you have the, that lustful instinct to procreate that that the porn industry is is leveraging to make money you've got the survival instinct you've got the love instinct you've got the instinct for this all these psychological instincts for self fulfillment you know you've got all these things going on and every all of them want to hijack you hijack your your body for their ends yeah. and if some if somebody isn't the boss it's madness Mm-hmm. And I think so many people let themselves be driven by those and yep. don't have any control over it, mm-hmm. you know? And you have to fight back. You have to realize that there's a part of you that can grab the reins of those horses and fight back. And if you practice that, you get better and better and better at it yeah. until you're the fucking boss. You know, you like we talked about consciousness and like, am I the person... It is what I am the thing that is behind my eyeballs and like it's like the the thing driving the 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 meat vehicle yep. you know and I think that that aspect of your consciousness needs to be the thing that is in control of all of those other things otherwise you will become a monster you will become something that doesn't care about anything but your passions, you know, like, um, I'm not going to sacrifice. I'm not going to do the things that I need to do to advance myself. All I'm going to do is sit here and indulge my passions. And, you know, you, it's just a recipe for disaster. hundred percent. Um, it's like, I think that just to take it back to porn specifically, the, drive of human beings to procreate you know with like the best possible um mate is uh it's probably the biggest biological it's cannot be understated how much of a biological driver that is 
Uh, and porn completely hijacks that. You know, you when normally you would be out there making yourself uh, better and more appealing to the best mate possible, you don't need to because you are hijacking that and just watching porn, getting off, and then you're complacent, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And yeah. You're, cal- you're calming the beast down, but you're never putting reins on the beast. Yeah. And the, their instincts, you know, and instincts are deep, 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 man. They're like the animal part of you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, that's what you mean. It's like if you let the animal part of you run amok, then you become an animal. Yeah. And what you brought up something about sacrifice, and I think that is so key, man. When I said, when I was said a moment ago that you, there's a part of you that can say no to yourself, mm-hmm. to your, those instincts in yourself, um, people don't say no, and at least not enough. And that's the sacrifice. That's what, uh, I guess this is the idea that popped in my head. If you, if you look at religious sacrifice, you know, like first fruits, you know, people will take the best of their flock uh, in ancient times and they kill them and they drain their blood on the altar and they say, I'm going to give the best to God. And just like we do with the tithing, give God the first portion of your income. We're going to give them the first portion, the best, the first fruits. That's what we would do. We'd go out, we'd gather the first harvest, and we would put that shit on an offering and set it on fire and send it up to God. Why, symbolically, are we always sacrificing the best to God? I think that's a mistake. I think we we think that God deserves the best. But that's not the point of sacrifice. The point of sacrifice is to offer up to God the worst, Mm. the worst in yourself. And that's the Cain and Abel story. You have to sacrifice the things you love best with quotes, the things you love best. But those aren't the best things. Those are the worst things. You have to sacrifice the things you love best. Get rid of the porn. Get rid of the the shitty food that you love that's killing you. Mm -hmm. You know, start exercising. Get rid of the comfort. Sacrifice the comfort. You know what I mean? People don't ever want to do that. And that's what the Cain and Abel story was trying to tell us. It was telling us that Abel sacrificed the things he needed to and was pleasing to God. And Cain sacrificed, well, he sacrificed, but not what he needed to. Yeah. And I think that there's something you hear um, particularly, well, I've heard particularly Christian people talk about this because that's the tradition that that I grew up in and that this country is based on, right. um, that you need to let God help you with your burdens, you know? And that is what that is, giving him the thing that you have the hardest time with, letting him help you with that, mm. you know? Um, him, you know what I mean? Um, and, yeah, giving, like, the best, the, that's, like, the easiest, you know? Like, uh, that's the easiest thing to give exactly. to Exactly. So that's that reminds me of the phrase. I think it was a Jesus quote. I'm not 100 percent sure, but um, you've heard it before. It's it's easier to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean, because a rich man will sacrifice more. Right. More than a poor man. But not really. Yeah. Right? They can pile up the gold, but they're not sacrificing anything they should be. You know? Yeah. I think that's so important, man. I do, too. I think this scientific empirical godless world that we are living in is so dangerous it just keeps getting more like i fucking struggle 
with like Jordan Peterson talking about how we have this grand unifying narrative that holds people together. And if you don't have that, that the whole society falls apart, that we need something, some commonality that we can all grab a hold of and get, put us on the same team. And that commonality for all of human experience has been a belief in God. And we're, we're slowly chipping away at that. And God damn, like I, I can understand more and more how dangerous that is. Yeah. And every, we just go along to get along and say, we got to, we got to get rid of all the things that are childish, you know, and we got to move forward and people just throw away all of this spiritual and religious stuff as though there's no value in it. And I think it's super dangerous, man. Yep. I do too. And to, to kind of bring it back to what we were talking about with the issues that I have with capitalism, I think that those things, if left unchecked, can be very dangerous for us. But I think that they can be even more dangerous for us when they're weaponized against us. Mm-hmm. And you look at what like progressive culture is encouraging. I mean, they're encouraging porn. They encourage sexual degeneracy. They encourage, um, you know, you look at like the diets, uh, the the. You know, they're not necessarily encouraging, but they are encouraging it in the sense that we've got all this shitty, terrible, fast food, processed food that is killing us and making us fat. And then you have them lionizing fat people, like idealizing, like it's fine to be fat, you know? Uh, You can't Mm -hmm. criticize it. Uh, Look at, just look at all of the stuff that they're encouraging and it's stuff that is bad for you. Yeah. And I have to wonder if maybe there's a reason for that. And it's not just progressive ideology, you know, um, that it's it's making us weak and much easier to control. Um, a man has yeah. as many masters as he has vices. 100%, man. I like that. And that, that makes me think about capitalism differently. I'm starting to see your perspective for the first time. So, like, you know how I, I continue to talk about manipulation and how I resist it, how I see it everywhere. And I'm not never really sure if I'm like, if I'm like playing into it too much, but like, you know, we talked about language and how it changes. And I feel like anytime a new word gets introduced, it's manipulation. Anytime I watch a commercial, it's manipulation. Anytime a politician opens his mouth, it's manipulation. Most of the interactions we have with each other are manipulation. Yeah. Like even right now, there's some part of me that gets joy in out of communicating something to you and seeing it land Mm -hmm. and vice versa. It's like, I'm getting something out of it. And so there's always manipulation involved, but if you understand human beings well enough and you understand psychologically and biologically what drives us, where our motivations are like the dopamine, all the dopamine releasing activities like sex, like, like eating fatty foods, all that stuff. If you're a money making enterprise, it would be very, very wise for you to find a way to sell a product that that acts on those triggers. Mm-hmm. So you, if you say to yourself, I want to make a million dollars, and people have huge amounts of dopamine release with when it comes to sexual titillation, well, let's create a porn industry that's going to play on your biological instincts and motivations, and we'll get you to continue to, to dump you know, money and attention and time into this hole that isn't helping anybody. Mm-hmm. You're going to make a ton of money that way, but you're going to waste uh, a ton of money that way. You're going to waste a ton of time. You're going to waste, you know, I understand 
that from the perspective of fatty foods, from the perspective of porn. Um, and I think that is the most sophisticated type of manipulation because you, because you know that you don't have to convince somebody in any particular way. You just have to play on their pre-existing motivational system. Mm-hmm. You just have to play on what you already know exists that you can't get around. Everybody has the same motivational system more or less. And that's insidious. So I, I don't know what to do about it because like... It's my, hard, especially coming from the tradition, you know, politically that we've come from. It's like antithetical to that in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know. But that being said, I, I, you know, over the last few years, I've definitely been on a journey with um, my political ideology. And, you know, I, I've said before that I think kind of ideally it would be good if we had smaller communities uh, that can do whatever they want, regardless of the, the larger um, governing, you know, like the federal government, the state should be able to do what they want, regardless of what the federal government says they should be able to do. Yeah. I think it should be much smaller than even states. But I don't think, like, if we have a community and we're like traditional values community, I don't think that there's necessarily a problem with, no, you're not going to sell porn in our community. It's not going to be here. We're going to take any steps we can to prevent that from infiltrating our community. Um, and this community that doesn't want it has no power over the community that that says it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, but... So let me ask you this It's quick. hard to do. It is hard to do. Let me ask you this question. If we're free to do what we want and Big, Big Brother in whatever form decides to remove a... Um, temptation like porn, like you just suggested. We're going to remove that temptation so that we don't, we, you know, it doesn't infect our community. There's a part of me that thinks to be good, whatever that means, to be good only matters if you have an opportunity to not be good. If you don't have an op- if there, you don't ever have an opportunity to sin, for lack of a better word, then being good means nothing. It's val- it's worthless. Yeah. So at, so at some point, it's like. You have to be exposed to the temptation and overcome it, or you're no better off. You know what I mean? Sure. How do you feel about that? I think that in that kind of scenario that I was talking about, you're still going to have the opportunity to sin. Um, You know, I just think that you're limiting the external factors that are encouraging you to sin. And I think that but that is... In that case, when you say you're limiting, the society is limiting. It's not you. You're not making that choice. The society sure, you're is making a that, choice to stay in that community. I still... That's true. But if you're but if you're a kid, and like we're talking about porn, that gets introduced right, you know, right when you start getting to beat-off age, which is, you know, you know, you're a kid still. Okay. So your, your parents and the community at large gets to control what vices you're exposed to? Yeah, I have no problem with that. Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, I, I guess I don't disagree. I don't think this idea that kids should be able to choose, I think is creepy as fuck. Yeah, but that's Catholic girl syndrome. What happens then when your boy is old enough to go to the porn village, he goes to the porn village and loses his goddamn mind, you know? Um, it's almost like you have, maybe you can control when 
your, your children encounter those temptations. Maybe you have some control as a parent over when, but you can't control the, the eventuality of that conflict. You can't control, it's going to happen. The kid, once he's an adult, will, will encounter that and have to struggle with it. You can protect him, him or her from it for so long, you know, you know, you want to kind of prepare your kids. I don't think that the protection, protecting them from it, I don't think that that just comes from sheltering them from it. It comes from teaching them about, you know, teaching them about the positive, uh, not only teaching them about the negative aspects of consuming it, but about the positive uh, aspects of abstaining from it, you know? Yes. Um, And teaching them moderation and self-control Although, to be perfectly honest with you, um, like one of the things that I've done with porn in the past, because I've known that I've had a problem with it for a long time. Uh, and one of the things that I've done in the past is like, oh, I'm just going to cut back on it. You know, no, it doesn't work. Yeah, it, doesn't it work. does not work. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's just me. Uh, well, I know it's not just me, but maybe, you know, I think that some people might say, well, everyone's not you. Some people can just consume it sometimes. Um, and maybe that's true, but I'm not inclined to believe that it is, to be honest with you. Um, how how do you feel about, um, watching porn with your, with your wife, you know, like that kind of thing? I think it's insulting to your wife. Um, I do. I mean, I feel like, what if she's into it? I would not want to be with somebody who wanted to watch porn with me. I mean, what? No, it's not, not interesting to me. So I had, uh, in my, my first marriage, I had, um, some brief, instances of that and uh that was cool that was cool man i, I didn't I, I have a hard time finding the same like critiques of of voluntary use of it as a um supplement as a sure erotic I, supplement. I can understand what you're saying um i do think that uh, you know a volunt- I, I, I was manipulating you i just realized by saying by using those words i, I called it an erotic supplement yeah, which is just like a, which is like a politician changing the words to make it softer. You know, I mean, I get what you're saying. Uh, I, I think that it is better if it's like a voluntary, you know, an erotic supplement mm-hmm. that you're both, you know, willingly entering into. But if I'm, you know, in my own head imagining what my perfect relationship looks like, it is not that. Yeah, but can you imagine like a a relationship that was developed and secure enough um, that you can start to pull in kinkier shit voluntarily. Like let's, let's have an experiment, you know, maybe there's some of that shit you like, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you go on a little, go on a little quest, figure out what kind of shit you might be able to do with your wife to spice it up. I mean, I guess I, I think that, um, a lot of that kinkier stuff mm-hmm. that you would be adding to your relationship would not even be in your head in the first place if you weren't watching porn. You know, it wouldn't, it's not like you would feel like there's all this other stuff out there that I'm missing out on and we can experience it together. Yeah. It wouldn't even be in your head, you know? For everybody, you think? I mean, for the vast majority of people, you yeah. Might be, you might be right and about that. And I think that. that for the people who do have the desire to do that stuff, they're probably they probably have that desire even without the porn. You know, that's mm. just the type of person they are. Yeah, yeah. And you can explore that with another person without having to have the erotic supplement mm. of porn. Mm. Um, well, let me let me ask you because this is connected to something that you might you might be interested in. You know how you 
were expressing like this interest in uh, the ritual stuff about religion and even like the most ancient pagan style rituals. What were they doing? Why? What what kind of experience were they evoking? Yeah. Well, some of those things um, were sexual. Yeah. And so this is, while we're talking about porn, this is a good one. I don't know if, I got to say, I don't know if this actually happened, but I know, I think, at least in like the, the Roman era, shit like this happened. But I think maybe even going way back into into prehistory, this happened, where where you would have, well, you would have, there was ritual prostitutes. They were called vestals, you know, there, there yeah. were ritual prostitutes and priestesses that were used for sex during certain religious rites, and some of them were orgiastic. So you can imagine you're in the Germanic forest in the grove clearing. You've got the fire going. Everyone's dancing around in their white robes. The Vestal Virgins come out. You're evoking the gods of, of lust and, and you know, fertility and all that, and you're just fucking in a big old orgy. There's something about that experience that's, to me, potentially extremely spiritual, extremely... Like, um, what I mean is, um, you, you lose yourself in it and the sexual act, the sexual feelings, the or- orgasm, all that stuff in the right context can be an extremely spiritual experience. But that's something that we would call debauchery today. Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of young people having a religious experience in the woods, sucking each other's dicks off, you know, you would call that debauchery today. But it happened, I think, you know, maybe not in quite that way, but it that sort of thing happened in a ritual uh, way, introducing people to ecstasy and, um, you know, it's not the same as a, as a uh, you know, committed long-term marriage, but for a momentary ecstatic experience involving sex, that's something that I'm not calling porn spiritual, but I'm saying there's a parallel maybe. Yeah, I mean, what you, you just hit on exactly what my response is going to be. Oh. There's a huge difference between that and you sitting by yourself watching porn. Intention. It's intention. I guess it's intention, but it's also... Well, what, what are you trying to get out of a spiritual ritual? What are you trying to get out of uh, watching porn? It is very, very different, right? Yeah, the intention complete, is very different. Yeah, that's true. It is intention, but also like... It is intention, but it's also surrounding. It's, you know, you're with people Mm -hmm, and, you know, you're like forming bonds with in that, you know, ritualistic orgy scenario. Yeah. Um, Which I guess is intention, too. But But you're with people in the porn theater. Just ask Pee Wee Herman. That's true. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully not sitting right next to them. Oh, God. um, Is that what he did? No, oh, I don't okay. think so. Yeah. Pee Wee Herman got a bad rap, man. That's what that's what they were all doing in there, you know. Shout out to Pee Wee Herman, yeah. I, Paul Rubens, man. You got my respect. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just um, I don't see the positive anymore. Like I don't see, you know, if that's if that's what it. If you want to watch porn with your wife and your wife wants to watch porn with you, then I guess good for you. Um, it's good that you found each other. Um, Listen, I, I just remember getting a blowjob while watching a blowjob on TV. It was pretty cool, man. That's all I'm yeah. saying. It was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, get, I don't know. I don't know what to, I don't know how to respond to that. I, 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 yeah, I got less I got less issues with it if, you, you know. In that situation, if you're beaten off by yourself and it's absorbing your life um, and it's, it, you know, causing your expectations and your motivations to get all fucked up, that, I can agree. That's let, a problem. Let man. me ask you something, though. Yeah. 
the time that you got head while watching someone get head, was that the first time you ever watched porn? No. Okay, so do you think that, like what we were talking about earlier, like that, like watching it constantly, it like ramps it up and ramps it up. Mm. It's like you have this idea that it would be it would be cool to watch someone get a blowjob while I get a blowjob, you know? Whereas like if you had never been desensitized enough, getting a blowjob by itself would probably be pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So my man, this is like a this is the conversation is strange and interesting to be airing. I'm gonna have to tell my mom not to listen to this one. But I gotta I gotta tell you something. I don't know if there's value in it, but let me just try. You know how like when you live your life and you have encounters, social encounters with people, friendships with people, it's like the more of them you have, the more you figure out about how they work, how friendship works, how people work. Um, you know, it's like the more, the more instances of something that you experience, the, the more, the better you understand it and the better you understand yourself, you know? Um, and if you're tempted in all sorts of ways, some things are going to tempt you more than others, but that helps you understand you. You know, like, oh, I like these sorts of things. I'm sensitive to these sorts of things. And it's different for everybody. So having lots and lots of experiences helps you figure out what it is. It helps you learn about yourself. And I tell you that only because I see things psychologically more nowadays than ever before. And I really like that. And one of the things I've been doing with myself is thinking about the things I like in porn and why. And... This is the weird part, but I'm just going to try this because it, even though this is airing on the interwebs, it's just you and me having a conversation. No one else is going to hear <laughs> I noticed that the things that stand out to me, the things that appeal to me the most are things like when a porn actress genuinely seems to enjoy it, mm-hmm. she's liking what she's doing, um, the, look, the looks on their faces, the attitude um, that that goes along with it. Not everybody has it. There's, you know, so it's like the more porn I watch, the more I notice the things that people do that that speak to me, right? The things that that get me, and I and the more I think about it, the more I realize it has to do with wanting the other person, you know. So we don't have to get into real graphic details about it, but it's like every instance where a woman seems to genuinely come across. It has to be genuine. It can't be phoned in. It can't be fake. If it looks genuine, she wants it. She wants him. She, she, uh, it's a desire. It's like, I think deep down, what I want most is to be wanted, you know? And I noticed that even through my, even through my, um, porn filter, you know? that the things that speak to me the most erotically are the things that show genuinely show when somebody wants another person deeply and badly. Yeah. And that speaks to my fucking soul. I'm like, I want people to want me deeply and badly. Uh, Yeah, I get that. Um, well, so I, I get that. I understand like logically, um, why that would be appealing. Uh, I'll tell you, and I'll get into this in a second. Mm -hmm. I, that is not uh, um, like a motivating. That has not been a motivating motivating factor for my it's porn. Interesting, yeah. Why, you know my porn filter. Yeah. Um, but what I want to, what immediately comes to mind when you're saying that is that, while I can logically understand that, I think that there's something to be said for the fact that 
almost all of the time that you're seeing that in a video, it's a lie. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I, the, 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 even the ones who really seem into it, they're not. As soon as that camera turns away from them, they're doing a job. They're yeah. collecting a paycheck. Yeah, I agree. And they, they need the same way that, you know, um, Angelina Jolie is crying and she's like, you, you're like, wow, she, she seems yeah. like she's really sad. Yeah. She's not. Um, yeah. And so there's something there's something about that. Yeah, but, but, but it being false. Yeah. So I, I think that I might be searching for that. Like I said, the the, the experience of being ba- being badly wanted and desired by somebody else, somebody wanting me, and only me. And I don't know how to describe it. It's a psychological need, and I think that I respond to it where I where I see it. You know. And, and I respond to it in porn, you know, for the same reason. And it might be a deficit issue. It might be like something that I want and I'm not getting. So I'm seeking it in other places. Maybe something like that, you know. I feel like there's some psychological shit to be learned about yourself in the deepest, darkest holes, man. Yeah. I mean, I think it's... Uh, I mean, I don't know how you... If you would say this, but it seems like it's directly related to like an insecurity. I would say most of the motivations in my life are directly related to insecurity, yeah. but I don't know that I understand the insecurity very well. Okay, and that part part of, partly is why the psychology psychological stuff interests me so much. Um, it, probably the same reason why the religious stuff interests me so much because it's about knowing myself. Yeah, I think, and to go back to how I said that that is not a motivating factor for me, and it kind of ties into the psychological aspect of it. Is you know we took that that Jordan Peterson know yourself thing. And, you know, this has been a theme. I definitely came off as more selfish, Uh more, um, uh, I don't know, more of an asshole, you know? Uh, And in like my porn filter, that stuff that motivates you is not a part of it at all. Uh, For me, it's pretty much strictly like physical things, you know? Attributes, you mean? Things you're yes. looking for physically from a, from a woman? Yeah. Um, some, somewhat, like, it, there's a, a motivating factor, or there has been a motivating factor of the acts, you know, like specific acts yeah. In, yeah. in porn, but a, mo- a lot of the time it's just physical physical attributes. It's funny because that's another area where you and I are completely opposite. I've noticed that there's very little about the physical appearance that... Like, I don't have a pattern. Yeah. There's not very much about the physical appearance. I'm all over the board. If you can find the attitudes and the and the facial expressions and the genuine, you can, the good actresses across the board, across the board yeah. but all different shapes and sizes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It does. I don't, it just, I don't know, man. It's so, it's so funny how, it's so funny how different that is. Yeah. Mm. But, yeah, I, I mean, just, to kind of go back to what we were, how this originally came up, I don't think it's good for you. Uh, I think it's pretty demonstrable that it's not good for you, especially if you uh, are willing to not consume media that um, media about the subject that. What's the word I'm looking for? It, you know, confirmation bias. You're gonna. It's like if you're a porn addict, you're going to go watch stuff that tells you that it's okay. You know, you're going to look for all of these justifications for oh, how yeah. it's not bad for oh, you. Yeah. Don't do that. 
Nope. Go look at, you know, people who are open to the fact that maybe it's bad for you and listen to what they have to say, uh, because I think that they make a pretty good case for it. Um, or, or just do an experiment with yourself. Yeah, try, give, try give it to not watch it for see what happens. And see what happens. Yeah, you, pay attention. Do you like not feeling in control of yourself? Fuck no. Yeah, it's it's not good. It makes you feel weak. Uh, and I can pretty much guarantee that for 85 to 90% of the men in the West, mm. most most men do, are not in the driver's seat on that. Yeah, and feel, feeling weak is a good way of putting it. It's uh, You feel insecure and you feel... Um, I, I want to say incapable, but it's not, it's a better word than that. Um, I, there is a lot of like, uh, social problems in the world that could be solved if the men in the West didn't feel weak. Yeah. I agree with oh, that. Fucking I, I agree with that. And that is, you know, we started talking about this in terms of like capitalism and manipulation. And I think personally that there's more to that than, you know, people want to admit that that we are being manipulated very intentionally um, to make us more docile, less driven, um, more effeminate, um, mm. l- lots of not good things. Um, and I don't think that it's like a an accidental byproduct of something that people are doing to make money. It sounds like domestication, like what we did to fucking sure. cows and sheep. We're domesticating ourselves in order to, I don't know, but I do want to say something before I forget. We started talking a little earlier about imitation and having like the founding fathers having some, some high watermark that we can aspire to and imitate. Same reason we put Christ up on a fucking cross and stick him way up on the wall at the church so we can look up to him and and try to imitate him. And I have to say that you making the right sacrifices and doing the hard thing Lately, mm-hmm. it's been inspiring me, man. So you're 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 the Christ figure up on the up on the. I do look like him a little bit. I got <laughs> fat Jesus. I'm gonna put a I'm gonna put a picture of fat Jesus Kyle up on the in the pod cave up up on the ceiling someplace high. Uh, but seriously, the uh, the decision to um, be strict with your diet and give up all that food pleasure is way harder than people realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to give up smoking pot is it. It takes some of the magic out of your your day to day experience, mm-hmm. and that that is very hard to do without, especially when you're used to it. Yeah, you know, it's good for you though because it definitely has given me perspective on the things that I that I want to be a part of my life um, in a maybe a more healthy context than they have been. But like weed, I in the future weed is coming back, um, hopefully <laughs> less. Um, you know, less often and more like respectfully to myself and to what I, you know, I'm kind of with Graham Hancock on like the, the spiritual plant ally, you know, uh, I think that it's like when you go, when you take a trip, you need to be respectful of that. Otherwise you're going to have a bad time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, you know, I think that taking the break from it has shown me like the food stuff I don't I don't really want that to be a part of my life uh, like so uh, you know I've been on keto for a month a little over a month um, and I'm on vacation right now so I was like I you know I'm just gonna I'm gonna try to be not go off the rails but I you know I'm on vacation I'm gonna you know have some food that I want to have and stuff like that and 
there were times over this past month where I was like, you know, feeling weak, like, like literally sitting in the, in, in the parking lot of the ice cream place. Like, I'm just going to do it. I, it's like, oh, wow. I, I'm going to extend my vacation by like three more days, uh, you know? Yeah. And I didn't do it. Good for you. And man. I'm glad that I didn't because Friday I, after work, I, that's when I stopped. That's like, that's the beginning of vacation. I don't have to go back to work for 10 days vacation. So I went and I got ice cream and it was not that good, man. Isn't, isn't that always the case, man? It was not that good. Yeah. And I feel like shit right now. Uh, over the last month, uh, my stomach has been great. I haven't had heartburn, no indigestion. Nice. My, my stomach feels awful. Like I'm yeah. like this entire podcast, I had this coffee with sugar and, excuse me, I had a caramel macchiato and it tastes good. I like, this is not like the ice cream. I fucking love a yeah. good caramel macchiato. <laughs> uh, but this entire podcast, I've been having like burps, like, and they're not just like a, an audible burp. It's like burning up through my uh, chest. Yeah. Um, and it, it's not good, man. I've I, I went the last month not eating a single tums. I've been eating tums like crazy over the last two wow. days. Um, so it gives you the perspective that this is not what I want. Yeah. Um. So, but with weed. I cut that out and it's like, I do want that, you know, like I don't want it as much and I don't, I want to be more respectful, like yeah. I said, to myself and to this well, the, like sacrament, you know, yeah. the, um, I want to be more respectful to that, but I do want it to be a part of my life. The porn, I don't want it anymore. Mm. Uh, and that is the difference between, that is why while it's still hard you know, I still struggle with it. Like, I, you know, especially when I'm bored or something like that. Uh, it's like, you know, I, I want to. I want to watch it. Absolutely. Um, but it's easier for me to say no because now I understand that this is not what I want. Yeah. And and the more you say no, the easier it is to oh, say yeah. no. And people will use the analogy like a muscle. You know, you use mm -hmm. that muscle. You use the say no muscle more and more and you get better at it. But Jordan Peterson did a better job of explaining it because he said... Well, he said some crazy shit, but it's real. He said that there's circuitry in your brain, paths that the electrical impulses take between your neurons, and you have the ability when you make a different decision, right? Because the more, the more like a game trail, right? The more animals walk across the game trail, the more of that rut gets created, and it becomes a path that's easier to go down, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to take the path. You don't have to walk through the brush. You take the path. It's easy. So your brain's like that. Yep. Those impulses go right down the easiest path. For and, sure. and if you say, wait a minute, you stop it midway and t make it take a left, it's hard, and you fail sometimes, and it's harder. But the more you say no the more ingrained the no path gets. Yep. And the more you reinforce that, suddenly the, the signal's no longer the easiest from A to B. It goes from A to C. Yep. And that's what you got to do. And th yeah, that is why, especially with porn, uh, me and, and this is not just me, this is, you know, like I said, I've been watching a lot of stuff about this. If you want to get it out of your life, you can't wean yourself off of it. You need to stop. You need to stop cold turkey and force yourself not to do yeah, exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. Uh, because otherwise, you're gonna, you're not going to. You're not going to cut it out of your life. It is a. It's got deep psychological hooks. You are not going to be able to do it that way. That's yeah. That's exactly it, man. Um, and you know, to talk about like practical benefits. I see them already. It's been like two weeks and okay, again, I'm definitely going to have to tell my mom not to listen to this <laughs> All right, let's one. Hear but it. Like, let's hear about your boners, Kyle. You hear, you like, I don't know if you 
have had this experience, but you're like watching porn. You got you got the tube side up on your phone. You're scrolling through videos. You yep. find one that you like. Yep. You start tugging. Yep. Um, and it's like okay, it's good for a while, but then you're like, all right, let me find something else. Yep. And in between stopping this video, scrolling for a while to find something new, it you, goes away. It does. It sure does. Yeah. And that's not good. No. That's like exactly the problem that you have in the middle of sex yeah. where it's, it's like, all right, I'm excited now because we're just getting started. Uh, 100%, it goes away. A hundred percent. And that has not been, it, it's been, I think, less than two weeks. And that problem is not as much of a problem. You inspired me, Kyle. I'm, I'm going to get rid of porn. I'm going to do an experiment. I'll get rid of it for a little while. And then ask me in like two weeks or a all week, right. um, ask me on the podcast and I'll tell you. Yeah, I I think that it's good. I think that more people should get rid of it. I think that not only is it good for the people who get rid of it, but and this is an aspect of watching porn that I you know we were talking earlier about people who were addicted to it justifying it and be like, oh, it's not bad. The amount of like sexual um, slavery that is involved with porn and not even like there are cases where people are kidnapped and they're basically slaves and they're put in front of cams and you know they're they're that's what a lot of this goes on in eastern europe like a lot of these eastern european cam models they're slaves jesus um i don't watch them i don't watch them i, I, I can't i can't deal with uh foreign languages and porn oh, i don't I, <laughs> I don't i'm not a, you know in the past i have not been interested in them talking too much i'm so. such an auditory guy um, yeah. That's such a huge part of it for me. It's what isn't that weird, man? It is weird. It's the sound. It's the sounds. I guess it's not that weird, but um, I guess it's a little weird. I, I think that a lot of people are probably on the same page, though. It's just I'm not. Like if I'm if I'm having sex, <laughs> oh boy, here we go. If I'm having sex, uh, the tr- the trigger the most triggering parts are are sounds to me. Yeah. yeah. Um. But even like the not straight up slavery, you know, like Eastern European, you're locked in a room in front of this fucking camera. Yeah. Um, a lot of the people who go into that, it's like the same thing with strippers. Like a lot of the time, these are not people from, they've not had good lives. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. They are people who have had very hard lives and who just happen to be good looking, you know? Uh, so they go into this world where... They get rewards, you know, but they're also being taken advantage of Um, and having vices of their own. You know, they're there exploiting the vices of people and they're also having their vices exploited. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, all the there's a lot of like rampant drug use that goes on and, you know, strippers. Absolutely. Yeah. uh, So. Yeah, I, I just there, think that there's, there's a lot of negativity. There's rampant drug use that goes on in the kitchen staff. Can you oh, can yeah, you absolutely. can you imagine how much more in the porn industry? Yeah. Golly. I mean, I'm not I'm not like completely anti drug use, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, I did want to talk about uh, this guy on Twitter here. Hold on. This guy on Twitter. All right, so solar punk anarchist. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so he said something on Twitter. And I never had any interaction with him before, but I started engaging him. It's funny, you brought this this tweet up to me, and I interacted with the same tweet. Was it on your list to talk about today? 
Uh, no, it wasn't at all. But when you brought it up, I was like, oh, okay. We'll well, talk about that. He said something I think is, he brought up a really, really good point. I disagree with it entirely, but I want, I think it's, it's going to sound reasonable to most people. He said this, he said, in the 21st century, it should no longer be considered normal to be a grown adult and still believe in a God or the supernatural. Okay. And the idea is like, you know, we live in this modern scientific world where everything is, you know, everything we believe we, we're reasonably sure is provable scientifically and repeatable. And, um, you know, we don't have room for superstition. We don't have room for the unexplainable because we have a lot more explanations than we ever had before in our lives. And we just feel like it's only a matter of time before all the questions will be answered and we can answer them without without an appeal to anything supernatural. So anybody who believes in these silly stories in the Bible is a child. And anybody who believes in the idea of God is, um, uh, you know, uh, dumb, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that is, a lot. so many people think that that's pretty reasonable and pretty hopeful for the for the future of the, of the world. And I think, I think that it's not hopeful. I think that it's one-sided and that it's, 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 there's a huge risk involved with denying the spirit, and that's something that, God, man, I would have, I would have never said, you know, all through my teens, all through my early twenties, all through my most of my twenties, probably never would I have said that we have to, that at our peril do we pretend that there isn't a spiritual component to our lives. I think that there is, you know, a spiritual component to our lives. And the idea of God has been with us since the beginning of our history. To abandon an idea that stuck with us for hundreds of thousands of years, it's like, oh, pump the brakes a minute, you know? Mm -hmm. What do you think? Um, I, so I, I saw that same tweet, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to read the full tweet. He right. said, here's where I lose some of you. In the 21st century, it should no longer be considered normal to be, in a, grown adult, to be a grown adult and still believe in a God or the supernatural and the rest of us shouldn't be expected to respect in quotation marks, such beliefs because you refuse to grow out of them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a common refrain in this podcast is what is it? Do the hard thing. Maniacal arrogance. Oh, maniacal arrogance. Yeah. What a fucking prick. Yeah. Um, I quote tweeted, I said, when you're such a narcissist that you think you get to decide what is acceptable for everyone on the planet. Um, what, like, what are you even fucking talking about, man? You're free to believe that there's no God. I think it's stupid. I think that, you know, I think I call this person a narcissist. And I think that in a lot of ways, mental illnesses like narcissism, it's like, Almost like you get to be an adult and you forgot to develop past being a child. Yes. And that is what this guy is. He's a fucking child. And he's like, because you refuse to grow out of it. You refuse to grow into being a person. It's exa that's exactly what I, what I said was maybe you should have a more sophisticated idea of God. Yeah. You should have grown into God and, yeah. not, and not asking everyone else to grow out of God. It's, uh, that is That tweet just like drove me fucking crazy and it's funny that he put that out because recently um you know i said earlier in this podcast that i'm having more and more issues with the whole libertarian anarchist thing for many issues there are lots of things about it that are like i just don't see as effective uh it's 
I still have the same goal. I still want to get to the same end goal of more liberty, more people being able to do what they want. But I just don't think that the the methods of getting there, I just don't agree with a lot of these libertarian anarchist type people. Um, do, do you think it's because, do you think it's for the same reason that the people that have those goals are still children? They haven't figured out how to, how to, yeah, I think that uh, a lot of a lot of the <laughs> criticism, a lot of people will criticize libertarians and anarchists by saying that they're immature. You know, like Ayn Rand, they'll be like, uh, you know, that was good when I was a teenager, but then I grew up and it's not good anymore. Um, and in the past, that really bothered me. And I think in a lot of the ways that some people mean it, it still bothers me. But I definitely think there's some truth in it. Yeah. Uh, Ayn Rand specifically has been. I agree with a lot of the stuff that she has to say, but I tweeted out, uh, I like, you know, Ayn Rand has some good points, but it's obvious that that bitch never tripped on mushrooms. Uh, yeah. Because she's like, just the atheism is a big part of, of objectivism, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and that is one of the things, that's definitely one of the issues with libertarianism and anarchism that it's like... This like insistence that you have to be uh, an atheist or you know no gods no masters. This could it's fucking immature, man. This could be manipulation on my part trying to preserve the image of Ayn Rand because I because I do love Ayn Rand. Um, I think that Ayn Rand's I haven't read her philosophy. Maybe I should, but Ayn Rand's fiction. You know she produces images, and those images like you know, particular villains or particular heroes, you know, they're images of, in her mind, of what a hero should be and what a villain, what the worst type of villain is. And that's what people do, you know? And I think those images tell more about what somebody believes oftentimes than what they say they believe. It's like what you painted up in your fantasy, that's what you believe. Mm. You, that, you, you reached down deep and you created a hero and you called him Howard Rourke. I think Ayn Rand's heroes are the best heroes in fiction, hands down. Ayn Rand's heroes speak to me on a deep level. I love them. Sure. I love them. They're, I agree. They're better than superheroes. They're better than than like the noble heroes. They're the they're the. I love them. I don't know why we talk about that, but I love them. Um, that said, Ayn Rand is an idealist, and that is the flaw in her thinking. Mm -hmm. And she's like. An arch idealist. She as is. far as idealists go, she's like extreme. She, so I agree. I, I would put. This is hard for me to say, but I would put. I would put Ayn Rand's philosophy and Karl Marx's philosophy in the same camp. I would mm -hmm. say that they are beautiful. They are idealist, and they would never work. And that's the flaw. They don't take into consideration human nature. You know, Ayn. They take into consideration certain elements of human nature, but not the whole kit and caboodle. And Karl Marx makes the same mistakes that Ayn Rand makes in different ways. Yeah. You know? You don't have to try to save Ayn Rand for me. I still, you know, I value Ayn Rand. Um, I don't, it's not like I, I think that people shouldn't read her. I think that you should. I think that there's a lot of valuable stuff to get out of it. But a lot, so not only was Ayn Rand an idealist, a lot of the people who love Ayn Rand tend to also be idealists yeah. and like, like objectivism is it. You don't need anything else, and I don't. I don't agree with that. Let me ask you this question. Sorry, we we don't have to get off track, but I that's fine. I read this thing the other day. It was in Carl Jung. It was in Carl Jung book, and he said that as he developed, he started to identify with his thoughts, 
and I, 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 had, I was thinking about this, and I had a really difficult time with it, so I want to know what you, what you think. It's like you're trying to figure out who you are when you're growing up, and you see things in people that you like and that you don't like, and the things that you like, you kind of adopt. You're like, I saw this characteristic quality of this, in this person, and I like it, so I want to be more like that. It, it, it reveals to you who you are. Like, I, I like this, so that's the kind of person I, I want to be. Oh, that's who I am. And so you follow different people at different points in your life that flesh out who it is you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, so he's talking about this. He's like, well, basically what you're doing is you're living through other people. And so I had an Ayn Rand phase in my life where I was trying to develop whatever it was in Ayn Rand that I saw that I liked, that I recognized in myself. And um, um, then Carl Jung says he got past that stage where he was living in other people. And he started having his own ideas, you know? And that's what happens. You know, you, start, you get more mature, you get exposed to different ideas, and suddenly you have your own. You have your own ideas. Yeah. And then he thought, okay, well, then that's, that's who I am. I used to be kind of living in other people. Now I've got my own, you know, co- cohesive thing, and I identify with that. And he identified with his thoughts. And what could be more you than your thoughts? Yeah. And I thought to myself, okay, well, what do you develop? How, why develop beyond identifying with your thoughts? And he does. Carl Jung says, you, you aren't your thoughts. And I'm like, well, no, of course you're not your thoughts. And I'm like really struggling with this because I feel like when you have your own unique thoughts, those things, that's what you are. It seems like that is what you are. But then you say, are you and your thoughts the same? Fuck no, they're not the same. I'm really struggling with this right now. What, what do you think of this? I don't know what to think about it. I do you mean, think you are your I thoughts? I need to think about it more. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I don't think you're your thoughts. Just on a an instinctual level, when you say that to me, that doesn't seem right. Um, I it's feel I feel like I am something that has my thoughts, that creates my thoughts. But do you create them? I don't know. That's the thing. They feel like they belong to you, but you can't say... You can never really say that you created them because new ideas and new synthesis of ideas they seem to just be there in your head and it's the aha moment but where how did it get there there's this unexplainable gap it's like your thoughts even though you like them and even though you attach to them there's a way in which you can understand they didn't come from you not consciously right because you were just as surprised about the idea as anybody else yeah um but I think, in a way, you know, we've talked about before that everything is the same thing. We're all that Terminator 2 substance, the, yep. the liquid Terminator substance. So maybe they're not coming from you. Maybe they're co- but it's all coming from the same place, you know? Yeah. Um, so it is coming from you. Mm, yes. I like that. I like that. But then the question is, why do some things speak to you and other things don't? You know, and it's different for everyone. Yeah. You know, Uh, you talking about Carl Jung reminds me of something that I wanted to bring up. Uh, Something that doesn't, uh, as far as I know, tend to speak to you and it doesn't speak to me either uh, is modern art. Yeah. You know, abstract modern art. Yep. And I was wondering, you know, I know that 
Rogan has mentioned before that uh, Pollock, Jackson Pollock, there's like some kind of cool fractal thing with yeah. him. Yeah. But a lot of the time when I look at a Carl Jung painting, it, or a Carl Jung painting, uh, Jackson Pollock painting, it doesn't really do a whole lot for me. I'm like, it looks like paint splattered on a canvas. Yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, Jackson Pollock was very influenced by Carl Jung. He was, he was a, uh, you know, he had Jungian like psychology mm. um like he went to a psychologist that was young and and oh, okay. that affected him yeah. a lot yeah and it just makes me i haven't done it but i would like to kind of go back and maybe look at some more jackson pollock work that is interesting and i have seen that before where people will uh zoom in on a jackson pollock painting and it doesn't matter what scale you look at mm -hmm. it looks the same at every scale so that's the fractal component to it yeah the whole painting versus a one square inch of it looks identical you can't tell the difference yeah you know which is really cool um we definitely don't have time for this, but I have a thought. I want to propose to you for the next time we get together, maybe, or sometime down the road. I've been reading this book by one of Carl Jung's pupils right down here about um, fairy tales. Mm -hmm. And it's been really interesting to me to see the psychological like components in fairy tales. And I've been listening to the Harry Potter books because you inspired me when you were re-listening to them. Like, I got to go back and re-listen to them. And I'm almost through it now. I'm I'm in, I'm on uh, the Deathly Hollows. I'm probably like a, a third of the way through the Deathly Hollows. I'm almost done. Yeah. And while this is happening, two things pop in my head. One of them is there's lots of interesting political elements that we could talk about from the Harry Potter series. Mm -hmm. And secondly, oh, yeah. there's lots of symbolism, like what you see in fairy tales, like any good fantasy story, any good story. Period. That we could we could kind of deconstruct and talk about there's like some really interesting stuff in harry potter man. for sure jk rowling is she's awesome um yeah there really is a lot of interesting stuff that you can talk about in harry potter and you're right we don't really have time for it but i've been on a fantasy kick lately like a lot of the intellectual like reading and stuff that i have done in the past i have just not been motivated to do it um I want to listen to the Harry Potter books. I, so I listened to all of the Harry Potter books like twice fully, like back to back. Like I finished the series and then I just started the fucking series <laughs> nice. again. Yeah. Um, then after that, I listened to all of the George R. R. Martin books. Uh, you know, it's not the series isn't finished, which I'm fucking irritated with George about. Uh, and then after that, I've started listening to the Lord of the Rings series. Nice. Um, and. So my hierarchy of those those three authors is Tolkien is at the top, uh, followed by J.K. Rowling by not as wide a margin as I think a lot of people yeah. would. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I do think that Tolkien is the world is so developed and it's it's incredible. Yeah. Um. So then J.K. Rowling and then George R. R. Martin and the gap between Rowling and Martin is wider than the gap between Tolkien. Interesting. And, and uh, interesting. You know what I'm trying yeah. to say. You know what I think Rowling did so gracefully? And I, she must have had this planned out. If she didn't, what a, what a beautiful accident. Is that she wrote those books for a generation of kids that would follow her through the sequels and the sequels and the sequels. Almost like it was planned out. She knew about how long she was going to stretch this out. Maybe I don't know, maybe not. But what she did was created a compelling world for a 10-year-old. That was the first book. Mm -hmm. a, com a compelling fantasy world and then as the kids who liked Harry Potter grew up with the next book and the next book and the next book she slowly 
complicates the wizarding world and makes it more sophisticated and more detailed and more adult and more yeah. dark. And as as you become, you know, from 12 years old up to, you know, whatever, 17 when the books end, if you were a fan, 17, 18-year-old, reading the last book, watching the last movie, um, it followed your, your development. And mm. I thought that was brilliant because kids see the world through a tunnel. And as they get older, that tunnel widens. And that's what Rowling did with The Wizarding World. She widened it slowly as, as you grow up. Brilliant. Yeah. Where, where Tolkien, and you might argue that Hobbit was more kid-friendly because I'm reading that with Freya right now, but um, the Lord of the Rings books were like adult world. You're in it. You're in it. You're in the deep end, you know? Yeah. And maybe that's because he intended adults to read it. But I just think Rowling really did an interesting job doing that. Yeah. I mean, I do think that, I don't, I don't know, I, I guess The Hobbit is more kind of kid-friendly. But I think maybe my perception of that has to do with the first time I was exposed to The Hobbit was a cartoon movie of oh, The yeah, Hobbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've actually not read The Hobbit uh, or listened to The Hobbit. Mm. I have only listened to the Lord of the Rings books. Yep. Um, but, you know, I know... I've watched movies of it. I watched the three Peter Jackson movies, which were not good. Mm. Um, but, I, you know, and I've also, like, dug into it, you know, reading, like, uh, not Wikipedia articles, but online yeah. resources about it. Um, and, I mean, it's definitely got some adult themes. You know, not yeah. like George R. R. Martin adult themes, but um, yeah. th- those books are good. The George R. R. Martin books, particularly, like, the first three are yeah. pretty fucking good. But it just like the last two that are available are not that great. Mm. Um, it's probably a lot of pressure on him, you know. It's it's just like a slog to get through them. Like mm. by the end of getting towards the end of the last book, I like didn't even want to listen to it anymore. But really? I was like, I've come you this push far. Through, yeah, yeah. Gotta, yeah, it sucks. Um, but there's definitely good stuff in there. The uh, I, and I do like, you know, J.K. Rowling did this to a certain extent, but less so than either. Tolkien or Martin, uh, they both really, and Tolkien way more than Martin even, developed the entire world that oh, these yeah. characters live in. Absolutely. I mean, Tolkien created languages. He was a linguist. Yeah. Like, I mean, he really fleshed that that thing out. That's and, true. You know, like there's creation myth. There's, yeah. a, you know, there's the god Iru Iluvatar. Um, and it's just like all of these myths that he created to... <laughs> To build this world on. It's incredible. Dude, that's funny you bring that up. Um, and we should probably wrap up uh, because I got to pee real bad. But um, creation myths, um, I decided the next segment I do for my solo, for my Wednesday episodes, I'm going to do a different creation story. I'm going to take a bunch of ancient creation stories from from, from the world. Yeah. I've got a copy of the Popul Vuh that I've never read. It's the the, the ancient um, Aztec creations, creation story. What you're going to start with, you think? I guess I will now since you brought it up. I'll do. I'm going to do the Popol Vuh. I'm not going to do. Um, I'm not going to do the Babylonian because Jordan Peterson did, just killed that one. He did. He did a great job talking about this, the myth of um, Apsu and Tiamat. But I'm going to do the Popol Vuh. I'm going to do um, the um, Scandinavian uh, creation stories. I'm going to do Pangu, which is a Chinese creation story. Uh, Pravapati and from India. I'm going to do a bunch of them. Uh, go back and read them. Uh, and do the same type of psycho- psychological analysis that this lady, uh, that this uh, Von Franz lady did with the fairy tales. You're going to do the Christian creation story? Fuck yeah, I'm going to do the Christian creation right. story. Cool, man. <laughs> All right, I got to pee. All right. Hey, man, this was an interesting talk. It was a good one. All right, I love you. Love you too. Love all of you people. Follow us on Twitter at Stony underscore Wolf uh, and at Two Tongues Pod. 
visit the website. Yeah, the let tons. us know. I'm still waiting for you fuckers to reach out and say something to us. Uh, so do that. Fulfill this for me. The Two Tongues Podcast dot com. You yeah. guys. All right. Check that out. See ya. Donate. 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 <laughs> well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode. 